welcome to you this morning. What a drastic change from last week, single digits to today. We're roasting. Did you put your sunglasses, your sunscreen on and such? Yeah, we're we're really really thankful for the Lord letting us be here today. I want to begin a study. I trust in an in-depth study, not just from a teaching viewpoint but from an application viewpoint of the book of Ezra. It's one of the, I'm sure, books that you may very well have to go to the table of contents to find exactly where it is. But Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther are right before the book of Psalms. So if you go to Psalms, just keep going left, and you'll come to the book of Ezra. What's dynamic about the book of Ezra is this, is that from a Hebrew culture, Ezra and Nehemiah were virtually just one book because they deal with the same issue. Not only just the rebuilding of the temple, which happens in the book of Ezra, but the rebuilding of the city walls in the book of Nehemiah, but there's a dynamic theme that goes through all of that. And the dynamic theme is not just worship, but how great our God is. And so that's going to be the thrust of our study on that particular theme of how great our God is. Think about your life and and situations of your life as you go back. Maybe some good points, maybe some bad points. But as we begin to go back and take inventory, we begin to recognize the presence of God in each and every situation. And what did you learn about that is the dynamic that we take with us. From a family perspective, we learned a valuable lesson that a husband and wife with six children in a two-bedroom apartment at Lancaster Bible College can survive. Because God is there. He provided in so many different ways. And He has never failed us. He has never withheld His hand to blessing. He has always guided us. But at the moment in those times, I'm speaking for myself, baby, not for you, but there are moments of times I really doubted. I, I said, God, where are you in this particular situation? Uh, especially one time I I literally ran myself I I drained my system of insulin because I was going 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 and I slept for a week and I didn't wake up and I said to my wife when I did wake up I said what time is it she said it's not the time it's the day I, I literally slept for a week because I was so tired and wasted But yet in that, God was still there. And He still strengthened. Even in those events maybe of your life. But we're introduced very quickly to the greatness of our God by the opening statement of verse 1 of Ezra chapter 1. I trust you've already turned there. I've seen some of you go for your Bibles, your swords, and, and you've already... Uh, opened it up to Ezra chapter 1. And that's a very good thing. But here's, here's the amazing part. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up 
the spirit of Cyrus the king. Did you catch it? Two things there. Number one, by the word of Jeremiah, and also God stirred up the heart, the life of Cyrus the king. Before we begin to dissect this particular phraseology, let's come to the greatness of our God in prayer, shall we? Lord, we thank You for this morning, for the joy of being together with brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, to sing of how great You are. To recognize that day by day You are there. And then to rehearse and rejoice that Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. You think of nothing better to do at the beginning of a week than to rehearse of how great you are. As we begin this study, oh God, I pray that your word and your presence in your word, the teaching of your word, the application of your word would become more and more dynamic in our lives as we face this new and coming year. You think of nothing better to begin the, another year than to focus on your greatness. So help us today, Lord, to, to come to a better appreciation and understanding of who you are. May our hearts, O oh Lord, be lifted in praise. May our spirits be strengthened and encouraged to know that we have a great God who's worthy to be praised, who is day by day, moment by moment, with us. So Lord, would you please teach us today by your Spirit, and we'll praise you and thank you in your name. Amen. What's interesting is the Persian government is first introduced in the book of Daniel. It's part of Nebuchadnezzar's dream that he has as recorded in Daniel chapter 2. You have the, the head of gold. You have the breastplate, the chest, if you will, of silver. And then the arms and the legs. And of course, as it goes down, the construction gets weaker. Persia is the silver. It is the silver kingdom. Not as strong as gold, but pretty strong in and of itself. What is interesting is that in the book of Daniel, in the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, they have something in common. Because they deal with particular kings that affect each one of them. In, in Daniel chapter 5, when Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom has finally fallen. Belshazzar, his son, you might remember, writing on the wall, Mene, Mene, you know, your kingdom is required of you today. We're introduced to this individual called Darius. Darius the Mede, in fact, it's referred to. And Darius the Mede is the first king of the Persian Empire. It's Darius who is tricked into putting Daniel into the lion's den. But toward the end of the book, this new king is introduced, Cyrus, king of Persia. And so you have Darius, you have Cyrus, and then the next king in the Persian line is Artaxerxes. Cyrus is the king during the time of Ezra. 
Artaxerxes is the king during the time of Nehemiah and Esther. Darius introduces the Persian Empire. What's also interesting from an archaeological point of view is that there is this cylinder called the Cylinder of Cyrus. This cylinder is a historical writing that Cyrus made concerning not only his kingdom, but also the way he deals with his subjects of the kingdom. It was dug up many years ago and is now presently on shrine, if you will, in the Museum of England. If you desire to go there, you'll see it. And in the cylinder of Cyrus, he speaks about establishing God again in Jerusalem. Cyrus is an interesting individual because he ruled his people with kindness. Cyrus allowed all of the different religious factions to be reestablished in their place of origin in hopes that in doing that particular thing that all of a sudden now his people would become buffers for any marauding, if you will, armies that would come toward him. And so when, when Cyrus gave the decree to, that the Jews were to allow to build their temple back in Jerusalem, he was doing that in hopes of creating a sense of kindness and also a buffer zone. No, Cyrus himself did not become a believer. The cylinder of Cyrus says that he hopes that these other religions would pray to his god, Marduk, for his protection and for his prosperity. And so when we read the beginning of the book of Ezra, in chapter 1 and verse 1, Cyrus is introduced as one who has been commissioned by God to have the kingdoms of the earth and allow God to be reinstituted in worship in, in the city of Jerusalem. Let's read the first four verses again, shall we? Now, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth of the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to build a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him. And let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. What is interesting about that declaration that begins the book of Ezra it's the same declaration that ends the book of Second Chronicles. 
Take a few moments and read that for yourself later this afternoon. It's almost virtually word for word. Now, the reason being is, and I may be in the same camp as those that believe that Ezra wrote the books of 1st and 2nd Chronicles. He's giving a historical events of the nation of Israel. And he closes 2nd Chronicles with the same declaration that is written for us in the beginning of the verse, a chapter of Ezra. What I want to focus on this morning, though, again, is the, the greatness of our God. And we see that, number one, the greatness of our God is displayed in the very first statement. That the year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The first thing is this. The greatness of God is displayed in history. The greatness of our God is displayed in history. That what makes the Word of God so dynamic. It is a historical account of the hand of God moving in history. What caused the nation of Israel to be taken into captivity is relative to the fact of what Moses writes in Leviticus chapter 25. In Leviticus chapter 25, there are succinct and direct commands given concerning the land. In fact, it's highlighted by saying the Sabbaths of the land. The nation of Israel was supposed to not farm their land. They were not to tend their crops. They were not to even tend their livestock every seventh day year they were to allow the land to lay dormant the livestock though they could be tended as far as being fed but they were not to be openly bred to gain more they were to rest the vineyards were not to be trimmed they were to be left alone for a whole year so that they could rest. And then in the eighth year, they again would start to do their farming. The nation of Israel was, was an agrarian. They, they knew how to farm. They knew how to tend sheep. They knew how to take care of cattle. And so God said, the Sabbath of the land every seventh year. But in Leviticus chapter 26, the end of that chapter... God gives a warning. If you do not give the Sabbath of the land, God says, I will send you to captivity. And He did. Seventy years of captivity has been added up by those who love numbers and how to work them. But for every seventh year that the nation of Israel did not do what they were supposed to do, Ten generations did not do that, added 70 years of captivity. Jeremiah, now we come to the book of Jeremiah. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. 
prophet of Jeremiah, also known as the weeping prophet, was the prophet during the time of the captivity. The time of what is called the Babylon coming in and taking the people out. Notice what it says as we begin in verse 4. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters, Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away. And pray to the Lord God for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. For thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord God of hosts. For thus says the Lord, after seventy years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you, and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. Because you have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Therefore, says the Lord, concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in the city, and concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity. God has displayed His greatness in history. He's raised a king, a king Cyrus, who, according to his own historical writings, has a sense of allowing the nation of Israel to go back to Jerusalem. Not only that, but he has also kept his word in the fact that the fulfillment of the 70 years of history that Jeremiah has written about has come to an end. God is great. His greatness is displayed in history. Number two, His greatness is detailed through His promises. His greatness is detailed through His promises. I've lost count, and maybe you can update me on the number of promises that there are in the Word of God. Some of them are more familiar to us. 
we like to quote, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from us. That, that is a promise of God, sometimes brought out when we wonder how well our children are going to turn out. And what we quote often, he'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And those are two of the more familiar promises. But I really love the one that says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever. God's greatness is detailed through His promises. We just read in this particular passage of Jeremiah that God said 70 years will be over and I'm taking you back home. And how God did it is amazing. He established a king who was sensitive to the other gods of his kingdom, though he himself had no regard for God, other than the fact that he recognized that all that he had came from God, but yet he still worshipped Marduk, the gods of Persia and Medes. But yet he was tender to the heart. And it says that God stirred his heart that he will allow the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. God's word is, and the greatness of his promises come forth day by day and moment by moment. How many of you, even this morning, can remember a promise of God and how he fulfilled that dynamically? I trust everyone here has taken the greatest promise of all, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Can someone give me an amen? That is a dynamic that we do not have to worry about. The promise that, that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen? The promises of God is a display of His greatness. And when He said to the nation of Israel, 70 years is over, you're going home. You're going to go back. And here, God, in the wonder and the glory of who He is, established a king who would allow Him to go back. It draws my mind back to Galatians in chapter 4, where it says, In due time, God sent forth His Son, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might be called the sons of God. In due time, the fulfillment of history. And we saw that as we just finished the Christmas season of how God established all that needed to be done from a historical perspective in order for Jesus Christ to come and be born. His greatness is displayed through history. His greatness is displayed through His promises. And His greatness is demonstrated in His name, the God of heaven. The God of heaven. 
What's interesting is a highlight here. It's a shadow in the background. There's an interesting passage written in the book of Isaiah that succinctly mentions Cyrus, the king of Persia. Daniel was around at the time of when not only Darius is the first king that ruled the Persian Empire, to Cyrus. And in Daniel, we, we see that it says, in the third year of Cyrus. So Daniel was there. And I can't help but wonder, maybe, just maybe, Daniel showed Cyrus the record of the book of Isaiah. Uh, we, we need to read that for ourselves. Turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 44. This is what makes it so exciting, the greatness of our God. Even before Cyrus <coughs> came on the scene, He's mentioned in the Word of God. In Isaiah chapter 44, beginning of verse 24, it says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and He who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord, who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by himself, who frustrates the signs of the babblers and, and drives diviners mad, who turns wise men backward, who makes their knowledge foolishness, who confirmed the word of his servant and performed the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited. To the cities of Judah, you shall be built, and I will raise up her waste places, who says to the deep, Be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. Who says to Cyrus, He is my shepherd. He shall perform all my pleasures, saying to Jerusalem, You shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue the nations before him and to loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double door so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break the pieces of the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness, the hidden riches of sacred places, that you may know that I, the Lord, who called you by your name, am the God of Israel. Hundreds of years before Cyrus even came on the scene, God had a plan. 
I wonder, I just wonder if Daniel showed Cyrus that passage and said, Cyrus, God has a plan for you. It's not too difficult then to read in Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1 where Cyrus says, I was stirred. I will build. I will allow the temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. How great is our God. How great is our God. But it's also demonstrated in His name, the God of heaven. That's a dynamic name that only God can have. What's interesting, in the Jewish-Hebrew culture, names mean a lot more than what we give them today. Your name in a Jewish culture highlighted a particular characteristic that you would carry along. Usually parents would not name you until at least eight days after you were born to see what kind of character that you are. You might remember when the angel came to Mary and the same angel came to uh, Zechariah and said, call your son this. Name him this. John from Zechariah and Elizabeth. Jesus for Mary and Joseph. Names were already determined because in each one of those names, the characteristic Jesus' name means Redeemer. He came to save His people from, them, from their sins. John is proclaimer. That's what he was going to do. And so we have this name, the God of Heaven. It is a continuing name that goes through the book of Ezra. And also, it introduces itself in the book of Nehemiah. The God of heaven. It's, it's more than just saying that term. It's, it's more than just flippantly just, remember, just, just reading that. Because in it is, again, the greatness of our God. The God of heaven, He's the one. God is the one who made heaven and earth. In Psalm 115 and verse 15, it says, May the Lord God bless you, the Maker of heaven and earth. He is the Creator of all that there is. That in and of itself is so dynamic because when John writes about Jesus, he says, He made all things. For without Him was not anything made that was made. There is our first indication of what we call the deity of Jesus Christ. If God is the maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus is referred to as the creator of all things, for without Him was not anything made that was made, then obviously, 
Jesus is God. God is the maker of heaven and earth. Even Cyrus, as an individual who worshipped other gods, recognized the fact that all that I have came from the hand of this God. It's the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar, after he awoke from his stupor of being a wild animal chained to a tree, even he came to realize that all that he has has come from heaven itself. God. That reminds me of something, dear people, and it's this. All that we have comes from God. He is the creator of heaven and earth. How great is He? The one that can speak all into being and yet can still speak to our hearts. How great is He? He is the Creator of heaven and earth. Secondly, the greatness of our God, the God of heaven, God is the one who is in heaven. He is in heaven. Let me just repeat that one more time so you get it. He is in heaven. He's not left His throne. He has not stepped aside for anybody else to come and take over. He is there. I get excited when I read Revelation chapter 4, when we're allowed to see the very throne room of God and how John minutely, if you can say, tried to describe it for us, but I can't wait to see it. I want to know what it's like to hear thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000 saying, worthy is the Lamb who is slain. I can't wait to see these four living creatures who continually before the throne of God say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of your glory. I can't wait to see the 24 elders that after those beasts, after they finish doing their thing, they fall to their knees and proclaim, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Can't wait. He rules in heaven, which literally tells me, dear people, that nothing comes our way that He doesn't know. He has it in control. This world may seem crazy, and quite frankly, it is. Because their eyes are not on the king. But we have a king of kings and lord of lords. And events of our lives are not just happenstance. God is in control because he's great and he loves you. And he so dynamically wants to be a part of your life that He'll never leave you. And He'll never forsake you. Yeah, events of our lives, I'm going to use a word, I trust it won't be offensive, but it's some events of our lives really stink. Can I get an amen? They really do. 
And we wonder, how in the world can things like this happen to me? Well, we still live in a sin-ridden world. And events and circumstances of sin are all around us. But I'm here to tell you that that hasn't changed the king. The king is still in control. And he is the one who is in heaven. Jesus began his teaching to his disciples about prayer when he said, Our Father, who art where everybody, in heaven. Not on this earth, in heaven. Hallowed be your name. He's in control. And when Cyrus recognizes that, and he declares that all that he has come from the hand of God, how much do you think that encouraged the nation of Israel? We're going home. The third thing about the greatness of our God, the God of heaven, is this. Is he's the one who reigns from his throne in heaven. So Isaiah 66 verse 1 says, Heaven is my throne. He reigns. Notice what he did, how he reigned. Number one, he stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. He moved in his life. Number two, Cyrus has kingdoms because God gave them to him. Number three, God commands Cyrus to build a temple. But I hope you caught something as we were reading, and I draw our attention in closing to this. When the nation of Israel left Egypt, the people of Egypt honored them with gifts. The nation of Israel is once again leaving a captive nation. And what did Cyrus say? Give them stuff. Bless them. Give to them things that they need. But you think this generation of Israel remembered again how great their God is. And guess what? There's going to be a day when Jesus says, come on home, that we're going to receive stuff. Not from this earth, <laughs> but from glory itself. Are you ready? Ah, oh, the book of Ezra draws our attention to God so much that I trust your eyes, your hearts, the very depths of your soul will be stirred to see how great our God is. Let's pray together. Father, we, you are great and greatly to be praised. I ask that maybe throughout this week we'll go back and read those, the closing verse of Second Chronicles and the open verses of Ezra. And again, we'll be reminded of Your greatness. May You, O oh Lord, throughout this week, may, may You be on our minds as we look to see how we can serve You. 
Because you are worthy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let that ring from our lips and shine from our lives this week. We'll praise you in the master's name of our Savior, your Son. Amen.